Murder. Murder. Welcome to Death Do Us Part podcast hosted by my wife, Jamie. Hello. And myself, Mark. What up, y'all? Hey, we're going for round two now. Yeah. What a great start. (laughs) (laughs) We're both irritated. We're both hot. We're both sweaty. Fuck. Dude, we're both sweaty musses. It is hot in here. But it it shouldn't be. I don't think it's I don't think it's hot so much as it's just us being fucking disgusting beastly animals. Fucking hogs. Because it's not warm here. I don't think it's warm in here. It's not warm in here. I have the air on. It's just, we're gross. We're, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're sweaty muscles. We're just disgusting animals. We're fucking trash. I, I Big, dumb, you. stupid animals. Yep. We are trash. Oh, my God. So what's going on, baby? Nothing. Flag football tonight. Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm ready, too. Yeah. Today's one of those days. Oh, we need it. Yeah. We need it. It's a rough day. Yeah, I know it is. We call it uh, Dead Dad Day. Yes. It's okay. We can say it's that It's the loud. anniversary <laughs> of your dad passing. Yes. And I feel like it just, so. it gets harder every year instead of easier, so. Yeah, it's, I, I get yeah. it. I get it. I just shut down and deflect, you know, per he, norm. He's looking down Why at not? you. He's proud of you. Look what you become. Yeah. I'm sure you'd be happy we're talking about Richard Speck today. <laughs> right? So, just saying. Uh, so, before that, we got to do a little business. Um, after our last episode, we had a listener. I'm not going to say their name because I don't know if they want it out there or not. But he put a definition of a serial killer up on our Instagram page and you know he wrote me a message saying that he's not trying to bust balls and dude you're not busting balls Mm-mm. if if we're wrong on something we welcome you to oh, yeah. let us know that we fucked up um but we when you did that we took a deep dive Jamie took a I was huge say, deep dive yeah. yeah um and we came up with Different definitions. So, what what did you say the definition of a serial killer was? Three or more? Three or more. So, he went on the FBI's web website and it basically, you know, copied and pasted and, and it said that it's two or more. The thing is, Jamie went back on the internet and went to... 20 different sources and got 20 different answers. Including four different FBI definitions. Right. So the FBI can't even make up their mind. So if if you want to get into them and kind of explain. So um, for the most part, okay, so Oxford Dictionary says three or more. Uh, FBI in multiple places, including the definition used by Cornell School of Law, says three uh, Wikipedia says three. CrimeMuseum.org says three. Center for Crime and Justice Studies says three. CNN says, though, that the FBI says two. Encyclopedia Britannica says two. Encyclopedia.com says two. Right. Uh, Uncovered.com says that the FBI says three. So now there's 
multiple FBI's. So then there's the Office of Justice Programs, which has five components to their page. One of the components is the National Institute of Justice. There's two different definitions. They are literally on the same page. Literally on the same page. National Institute because of Justice it's, it's is a subsidiary yeah, yeah. of the Office of Justice Programs. So the one that I found that I think suits it the best, the FBI is now saying that... And this is the most recent. This is as of 2022 on the FBI website that I found. They are defining it as multiple victims with a cooling off period. And as that's long as the there's biggest... A, right. That's the biggest issue. The there has to off. be a cooling off period. If there's not a cooling off period, then you're falling into the category of mass murderer or spree killer. Right. So if there's... It, it doesn't matter if there's two. It doesn't matter if there's 27. If there's a cooling off period, they are a serial killer. That is the... That's the best definition I could find. So... Right. At this point, if, if these people can't even fucking make up their own minds and agree on something, it's, a, it's up for debate. Yeah, it's up for interpretation. Right. It, it's whatever you want it to be. As long as... As long as there's the cooling off period. Right. Yep. So there was really no what number a cluster. required. And I will say I found that um, <clears throat> Encyclopedia Britannica said that, uh, quote, although this definition is widely accepted, the crime is not formally recognized by any legal code it's not so like you'll never hear in court serial killer you you won't it's just it's a label that's put on him yeah it is it's a label not a type of crime you're exactly right so you're exactly right yeah so which is kind of crazy isn't it it is it is which i mean i get it it's a label for i get it too yeah it it kind of explains the situation but it doesn't define the situation per se right it's still homicide so it's still murder yeah so that's jamie's deep dive Mm -hmm. so we appreciate the comment because it made us like i was like what the fuck why can't they make up their own minds the fbi dude that's that's how they work yeah and then it's that's how they fucking work dude not funny but it's funny the the case we're doing today, like, so then he technically is not a serial killer. No. Because there's no cooling off period. Right. But he could also, he falls into spree killer and, and mass, mass murder. murder. So it kind of, that's, again, is up for debate. Up the, right. So if you, if you take one of the situations, it's mass. It's a mass murder. If you take the totality of it. It's spree. spree. So. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It, it just, but yeah, it's it's your interpretation, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it really is at this point. Because again, it's not something that's legally recognized. It's just a, a defining term. Right. So. Right. Yeah. The so guy yeah. today is just fucked. So today fucked we're doing Richard Spock. Yeah. I knew it was local. And I knew the gist of what he did. Yeah. But I didn't know, like, all of it. Yeah, I, I'm the same part. I'm not coming into it blind. I, I know bits and pieces, but I'm sure you're going to throw some shit at, at me that... Yeah, and I don't... ...is going to blow my mind. It's pretty cut and dry. He, you know, at one point he confesses and then he says he doesn't remember, but then later on, after he's already in prison, he confesses. Like, yeah. But not formally. Right. Um. Right. 
I don't do trigger warnings very often. Right. But I kind of feel like I got a trigger warning this. Okay. Um, just because it's, it's got, it's, it's. It's that brutal? It's the scariest situation you can imagine yourself in. Really? That bad, it's, I huh? mean, we, we've used the term, like, lambs to the slaughter before, but. Yeah. I mean, they're. That they're, bad. They're huh? watching their friends being taken away. And, oh, and, God. And oh. So, it, it you, just, you know what that reminds me of? Lane Bryant. Yeah. Yeah. So, just the the way that he did it, they, I mean, it was brutal. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. He, it, 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 was, it was brutal. There's no way around it. How yeah. he had the strength and the stamina to, to do this, to do what he did to eight women in one night is beyond me, but... They they watched it. They watched oh, their friends. God, how oh, fucking yeah! I couldn't even imagine that. Yeah, and then I, I, I mean, I couldn't even imagine. That's what I'm saying. It's like the scariest situation you're ever in because then you're sitting there and you know, and you know you're gonna die. There is a survivor. So, oh, is there There's really one survivor? Oh um, my god! And she ends up talking about how they debated: do do we attack him? Do we not attack him? Do we group together and go after him and or hope for the just, best? Or yeah. do we just sit here and hope for the best? No, so, like, gotta, to, have to, to have to think that. But then, I mean, it's so hard. I mean, he wasn't a big guy. He was a tall guy. But right. um, the, the survivor, just to put things into context in regards to, like, trying to fight him, she was 98 pounds. Oh, my God. <laughs> she was, she she was, was a itty, tiny itty, thing. Itty bitty. Yeah. So then it's like, okay, they they were all relatively tiny girls. What do you do? Right. So yeah, it's it's just it's it's a frightening scenario and it's a scary scenario and it's it's brutal. What he did was brutal. I just I would like to think if I'm in a situation like that, I'm gonna fight like hell. If if I know I'm gonna die you like know, like that, I'm going out with a bang. It's hard though, because like we just we talked about it with the Zodiac killer. Mm-hmm. When the boyfriend was like, I'm going to go after the gun. And the girlfriend's like, don't. You're going to make it worse. Right. But at that point, how much worse can it be? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I guess. And I'm not victim shaming at all. Please don't think that. But like when you see two of your friends get walked away and they don't come back. You you have to start thinking that you're going to be part of that. Right. So at what point do you just hope, hope he gets tired? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a hard one. I don't know. That's scary as fuck, so, though. Yeah, it is. Mm. Yeah. Yep. That's where we're at. Well, why don't you just jump into it? So, Richard Benjamin Speck was born December 6th of 1941 in Kirkwood, Illinois, to parents Benjamin Franklin Speck. Benjamin Franklin and Speck. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Mary Margaret. Oh, my God. My mom? Why did it just click that it's both of your mom's names? <laughs> oh, my God. It's my mom. <laughs> it it literally just... I don't... How did we not notice that the first time? Oh, my God. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, dear Lord. Is it my mom? And I called her Mother Mary when we tried to record the first time, which is what we call... <laughs> we call Mark's mom, Mother Mary. So... He was uh, the seventh of eight children. Holy shit. He had four older sisters and two older brothers. And then he had one younger sister. 
So his younger sister uh, was named Carolyn, and the two of them were pretty close in age. So they were Irish twins. There wasn't a lot of wiggle yeah. room between them. But there was a significant age gap between the older ones mm-hmm. and them. Um, I mean, to the point when they're young, they have married siblings already. Yeah. So yeah. Um, right after he was born, the family moved to Monmouth, Illinois. Um, I believe it's because his father got a job at Western Stoneware, which was in uh, Monmouth. But Okay. So dad, he worked as a logger and a farmer. And I mean, he did what he had to do to, to feed the family and pay the bills and... He did everything. He kind of just was jack of all trades. So uh, Mother Mary stayed home with Mother the kids. Mary. She was very religious. Mm-hmm. Go uh, figure. And she was a teetotaler. Do you know what that is? I had to look it up. No. So that is somebody who swears off of alcohol. They don't like it. They don't want to be around it. They don't want it around them. So like they don't a straight drink. edge. Kind of, yeah. But like, I guess back in the 40s, they didn't call it straight edge. They called it teetotaler. Okay. Um, sure. So, for all intents and purposes, this was the beginning of a, of a healthy childhood. It really was. Um, it, Dad kind of kept Mother Mary in line with the religious stuff. He didn't let her go too far. He made a point to spend time with each of his kids individually and as a family. Uh, he would take Richard fishing. That was like their thing. Um but unfortunately, when Richard was six in 1947, his father died unexpectedly of a heart attack at the age of 53. Wow. That's kind of where it went downhill. Damn. Yeah. Um, so Mother Mary ended up meeting uh, a man by the name of Carl August Rudolph Lindbergh, which... Sir, do you need that many names? Why do you names? have four names? That's totally uncalled for. What? So Carl. Carl. Your name's Carl. Yeah, your name's Carl. That's where we're going with. Wow. So she met him on a train ride to Chicago. Uh, he was a traveling salesman from Texas. On May 10th of 1950, Mary and Carl married in Palos Pinto, Texas. Um, it's unknown whether she knew the extent of him, really, before they were married or not. Uh, it turns out he had a pretty extensive criminal history that ranged from forgery to DUIs and spanned over the time frame of 25 years. Ooh. Um, <clears throat> he was also a super heavy drinker. Oh, that can't be which good for she can't, Mother she, Mary. I, like, did he hide that or did it just come down to Mother Mary's got eight fucking kids that she and can't support she, on her own? Right. And this guy's willing to take on eight fucking children. Right. And she just kind of looked past it, you know? Oh, my God. Eight kids. Can you imagine that? No. Eight Jacksons? No. Oh, my God. I would jump in front of that train oh, on the way to Chicago. Oh, dear Lord. You know. Babe, I would never be home. <laughs> I, I have a hard time with you guys and the dog. I know. I know. So, no. Oh, mm. my God. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm like thinking about that. Oh, oh, eight of Leah's and Jackson's. Dude. Oh, my God. I, I don't know how people have more than two children. You know, I, was, I, re- I, I really don't. I was just listening to something about um, Robert Kennedy. Yeah. You know, he had 11 children. Oh, my like, God. 11. She was three months pregnant when he was assassinated. Dude, close your legs. They're Irish. Irish Catholic. They don't know how. Oh, my Pull the fuck out. They pull and pray. But apparently they couldn't pull out of a fucking driveway. No. So, no. Yeah. 
Um, God, 11 kids. Mm. No. So Mother Mary ended up moving to rural, and I thought about it before I wrote that word that I should write Rural. Santo, Texas, which was 40 miles west of Fort Worth. Now, uh, Richard and Carolyn ended up staying in Monmouth with their sister, Sarah, who was married. So they stayed with her and her husband. To finish out their school year, uh, Richard was in second grade at the time. Mm-hmm. In 1951, Richard and Carolyn finally moved to Texas with their mom, and the family moved to East Dallas. They would end up moving frequently over the next 12 years, ended up with 10 different addresses. <clears throat> Damn. And most of the time, they were in shit neighborhoods. Hmm. Um, Richard hated Carl. Yeah. Which he is literally the exact opposite of his father. I can understand why he yeah, I, hate him. Yeah, I get know? it. So he would say that Carl was always gone, but when he was there, he was, he was drunk and abusive. Yeah. So Richard's having a hard time adjusting. And then in 1952, his oldest brother, Robert, died in a car crash at the age of 23. Oh, that's so, rough. So uh, Richard struggled in school. Mainly because he refused to wear glasses. Why? Because he would get made fun of. Who the fuck was would that? make fun of you for, for wearing glasses? Was that a thing? You could see now. I've had glasses since second grade, and I have never been made fun of for wearing glasses. What, four eyes? I don't, I don't. I, th- and who, yeah, I got four. Awesome. I can fucking see with four of my eyes now. Exactly. Get bent. Like, I, who made fun of somebody for wearing glasses? That's, dude, that's terrible. I mean, to the point, like, he ended up refusing to speak in class. He was constantly made fun of, and he wouldn't wear them, so he couldn't read. Really? He, he couldn't see anything. Oh, bro, that's so yeah. bad. So now he takes uh, a page out of Carl's book, and he uh, starts drinking by the age of 12. Jeez. In 1955, at the age of 13, he was arrested for the first time for trespassing. And by 15, he was drunk every day. He, So you're going to hear me being cut off. I looked at Mark and he paused it, but I was still talking. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> My God, I cannot wait till you get your Adderall. Oh, me either. I can't all bet. So yeah, whatever. It'll just sound like it did before. So, mm. um, so the glasses. Fuck you, get bent. I can see now. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> So he ends up kind of just turning into like a little shithead all of a sudden. Now, the other thing I have to throw out here is it is said in some sources, and it's not something that I can substantiate. It's it's multiple sources, but not something that was proven. Mm-hmm. Um, allegedly, at some point before his teenage years, uh, Richard fell and had a pretty significant head injury. Oh, really? Yes. Which I wish we could substantiate that because of the the connection, I guess, for lack yeah. of better terms, between head injuries and fucking serial killers. Right, like, right. You see it all the time. So I don't know if it's just something that people were like, oh, let's throw this out there and see, you know. But he, I don't think it was something that was ever brought up when he was older for him to confirm or deny. So yeah. I, I don't know. Just thrown it out. So we don't know. We don't if it know if he actually had actually happened. Right. Okay, right. it's I, possible. I got you. So he ended up uh, repeating eighth grade at J.L. Long Junior High School, and in 1957 he started uh, his freshman year of high school at Crozier Technical. He failed every subject. Nice. So he's like, "Well, fuck this." Yep, I'm out. 
He didn't come back for the second semester. Don't blame him. I don't either. So it was January of 58, uh, just after his 16th birthday, when he dropped out of school completely. In 1960, he started working as a laborer for the 7-Up Bottling Company in Dallas. And in October of 1961, he met 15-year-old Shirley Annette Malone at the Texas State Fair. Again, do you need that many names? Well, that's her middle name, so that's okay. Yeah, but still. I know. I don't, I don't know. Um, well, regardless, there was more names coming because she got fucking knocked up. Oh, my God. Um, so he was just shy of his 20th birthday, and she got pregnant three weeks after they met. All righty, then. Yeah. Good times. So that, that I'm sure, was <laughs> Good times. a fucking to-do in the 60s. Right. Not only are you 15, three weeks later you're pregnant. Wow. So they got married. Uh, January 19th of 1962, the couple married and then moved in with his sister, Carolyn, and her husband. Mm. Uh, Mary, Mother Mary, had left Carl at this Mother point. Mother Mary. He had moved to, I believe, California, um, and she moved in with, with Carolyn. On July 5th of 1962, Richard's daughter, Robbie Lynn Speck, was born. But he missed the birth because uh, he was serving a 22-day jail sentence for a disturbing the peace charge nice. after he got into a drunk fight at a McKinney, Texas bar. Nice. Meanwhile, he's underage. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so in July of 1963, when Richard is 21, he is sentenced to three years in prison. Jeez. Uh, he has a for what? forgery conviction for forging and cashing a co-worker's $44 check. Oh. God. Along with a burglary conviction for robbing a grocery store of cigarettes, beer, and three dollars in cash. Which, well, I mean, I you, mean, you need beer and cigarettes. Priorities, right? Priorities. I get it. I, I get it. I understand. Um, Depends in, on what kind of beer it is, too. Yeah, it can't too. be like shit beer. Yeah, like, like no. What did you ask me earlier? If you liked old style, no, it's fucking dog pee. You've yeah. never tried old style? No. Ugh. Yeah, no. it's awful. It's like it's like an old man beer. But I was watching Just Call Saul. Oh, I was wondering why you were. Asking. Yeah, and they were drinking old styles. And... No, babe, it's like pee. Because he's from Chicago, so he's a big Cubs fan. So he would. They always, drink old style. They it. drink yeah. old style. Yeah, ask any Cubs fan. It tastes like dog pee. But I know. They still drink it because it's like a Cubs thing. It's like fucking Malort. And I I don't get it. If it I, tastes like piss, what are you doing? Malort is like spoiled warm dishwater and oh. people still drink it because they're like we're from chicago we drink more no it, no i've heard of that too yeah no no right it it it's like a joke you're supposed to give it to like the out of new people yeah. yeah here try this it's fucking great yeah. no it's not no. yeah so in 1965, he was paroled after serving only 16 months of his three-year sentence at the Texas State Penitentiary in Huntsville, Texas. Mm. Um, his good behavior lasted about a week. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Give it a good try. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the very beginning of <laughs> 1965, he was paroled. Uh, but then on January 9th of 1965... So like, <laughs> I'm not I'm not being facetious when I say a week. It was literally like right. a week. Uh, he attempted to attack a woman in the parking lot of her apartment building with a 17 inch carving knife. Jesus, Michael Myers. 
So, 17 inches. Okay, so that's like, what, a foot? Yeah. Where are you hiding that? Fucking Michael Myers. Are you just Myers. walking around with it? Like, hey, guys. Yeah. Like a fucking lightsaber? What do you... You can't fucking like samurai sword. You can't just run up on somebody with that because they're going to see it. Well, apparently not. A 17. In- what the fuck are you carving? A right? deer? Dude. Like, I'm it's really like a like, samurai sword. I mean, at that point, you might as well carry a fucking sword. Yeah. I'm carrying a carving knife. I want a sword with like a sheath. I want a fucking sword. Yeah. So she probably saw the knife and started screaming. Uh, he ran. Her screams, though, alerted somebody who called the police, and they were able to catch him within minutes. Oh, wow. Uh, just a few, a few blocks away, so he couldn't get far. Um, and I keep... Have you seen pictures of him? Yeah. But, like, pictures towards, like, when he's in prison? Yeah. Okay, so I can only picture him with his hair how it was before, like, right when he was in prison. And it's... um. Randy Quaid's hair from yes. Kingpin. Yes, it is. Oh, my God. That's all I can think of right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And it makes it even worse because, like, then I think of the uh, the part where he's getting a beer out. <laughs> and his nipples are, like, ginormous. <laughs> well, oh, my God. Richard yeah. Speck ends up getting, like, boobies. So, like, oh, all I can God. think of is fucking Or in Randy. Fight Club. When Meatloaf gets I, the boobs. I never saw a Fight Club. Really? Yeah, I've never seen it. Oh, Meatloaf was a juice head? Like Meatloaf the singer Meatloaf? Meatloaf the singer. So he got man boobs. Oh, <laughs> That's all I can think of, though. It's like Richard Speck getting beer out of the cooler. And, and his, his nipples, nipples are yeah. <laughs> like five inches. That's all I can think of. Oh, my God. It's fucking me up. So, like, I think of that carrying a sword. Oh, that's you know? funny. Um, So he... Eventually was convicted of aggravated assault. Uh, he was sentenced to 16 months to run concurrently with a six-month sentence for parole vi- parole violation. Yeah. Um, so he was returned to Texas State Penitentiary in Huntsville. But on July 2nd of 1965, uh, after six months, which would have been the completion of his parole violation sentence, mm-hmm. due to some sort of clerical error, he was released. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's always good. Yeah. Cool. Just uh, make it a little air. Yeah. So he was able to get a job at Patterson Meat Company as a driver. Uh, he crashed their vehicle six times. Uh, dude, you suck at um, driving. What are you doing? What are you hitting? <laughs> right. What, what are you hitting? Sir, move out of the way. Now I think of Dumb and Dumber and his stupid fucking haircut driving the puppy van. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, he ended up he didn't get fired for that though he got fired because he just you know stopped showing up okay it's a great responsible guy yeah uh so in december of 1965 mother mary was like hey honey i have a job for you oh mother mary babysitting oh what yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, not sure if that's a great idea. Yeah. So she found him a job babysitting for a 29-year-old divorced mother of three. You ready for this? Yeah. She's a former professional wrestler. Yes. And current bartender at his favorite bar, Jenny's Lounge. All right. Why she thought babysitting was 
good i don't i don't fucking know but he ended up moving in with this woman and her kids and was like their live-in fucking nanny wow let that sink in for a minute richard speck was a live-in nanny babe i want that job a live-in nanny <laughs> i want that fucking job hmm. oh my god a live-in nanny richard speck dude you got it made um you got it made in the shade dude why? You have to take care of somebody else's fucking kids. Yeah, but a living nanny? Dude, that's, you got it made. You don't want to be a living nanny, babe. You want a living nanny. There's the difference. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to yeah, be Yeah, you're, okay. No, you want okay. one. Yeah, yeah, good call. Yeah. Good call. Let me clarify that for you. Uh, in January of 1966, Shirley files for divorce uh, after they'd been separated for a little while because she's like, fuck you. Um, Also in January of 1966, he gets into another drunken bar fight at Ginny's Lounge and ends up stabbing a guy. Jesus, dude. He likes his fucking knife. Again, I ask, where are you hiding the 17-inch fucking carving knife? Right. Just wondering. Uh, So he's initially charged with aggravated assault. Yeah. Mother Mary... Finds him a fucking defense attorney who gets the charge reduced to disturbing the peace with a $10 fine. Dude, that's a good attorney right there. That's Saul. That That is Saul. Here's the shit part. He refused to pay the $10. Dude, mm-hmm. what? And he was put in jail for three days for refusing to pay the $10. Oh my God, dude, you're yeah. an idiot. So this would be the last time he was actually uh, in police custody in Texas. That was arrest number 41. Jesus. 41. Oh, my God. On March 5th of 1966, he buys himself a uh, nice, new-to-him, 12-year-old used car. The following day, he uses said car to rob a grocery store. Oh, my God. He stole 70 cartons of cigarettes. Well, again, priorities. Right. Uh, He then... Goes back to the same grocery store. Yeah. To sell them out of his trunk. <laughs> he probably made a killing doing it too. So it's good fellas. Three times the price. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> right. No, it's okay. So he finally uh. figures out that the cops are like, hey, stupid. We we saw you rob the place and now you're here selling cigarettes right. out of the you're trunk. You're an idiot. Yeah. So he abandons the car. Uh, they quickly trace it back to him and issue a warrant for uh, his arrest for burglary on March 8th. Mm-hmm. On March 9th, Carolyn, his sister, drives him to the Dallas bus depot and puts him on a bus to Chicago. Mm. I'd be like, did you get me cigarettes? Because if you didn't, I'm not buying you a bus ticket. Right. Like tit for tat. Are Come they on. good cigarettes too? I, you you couldn't take something for me? Right. I'm just saying. So he ends up going straight to his sister Martha's house, uh, who lives in Chicago. She's married. He stays there for a few days. And then he goes to, he returns to Monmouth, where he stays with some old family friends. Uh, one of his brothers, Howard, still lives in the area and works as a carpenter and ended up uh, getting Richard a job sanding plasterboard for a different carpenter. Mm, Jesus. Um, on March 16th. That sounds like too much work. I know. 
Um, on March 16th of 1966, Shirley is officially granted her divorce and she remarries two days later. He finds out and gets super fucking pissed. Mm-hmm. Uh, sir, you're a dick. What is yeah. she supposed to do? Right. So he ends up going off on like a bender that just doesn't end. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he ends up in, uh, on March 25th, he moves into the Christie Hotel in downtown Monmouth. Now, I wanted to look to see how big Monmouth was because they refer to the downtown area frequently. Um, is it big enough to have a downtown area? I don't know. Or do they just consider it downtown? I I, I don't mm-hmm. even know where Monmouth is. I don't either. Is it down south, I don't know. Illinois? I don't know. So... He ends up spending all of his time at downtown taverns. Um, And at the end of the month, he goes to Gulfport, Illinois, with some friends for a bar hopping expedition. These are Illinois towns that That I've never heard of. So he ends up in Gulfport being detained overnight after he threatened a guy in a bar bathroom with a knife. Oh, my God, dude. He likes his knives. Mm -hmm. On April 3rd of 1966... He breaks into the home of 65-year-old Virgil Harris. She came home from a babysitting job at one in the morning and found Richard holding a knife going through all her shit. The knives, She dude. would later describe him as a six-foot-tall white man who was, quote, very polite and, quote, spoke very softly with a southern draw. Oh, isn't that nice? Virgil, honey. <laughs> Come on. He's robbing you, but he's nice. But then he blindfolds her, ties her up, and rapes her. Oh, Jesus. And she still says, he was very polite. Oh, well. Did he ask you? Jesus, this is weird. Ma'am. This is so weird. Would it be okay if I finished ransacking your home? And then raping you. you. Violently raping you. With a knife. I'll speak in my southern draw. This is so weird. What? And then he stole the $2.50 that she made that night babysitting. Oh, man. First of all, who the fuck are you babysitting for $2? Right. I ain't babysitting my own kids for $2. Fuck that. And I ain't giving you my $2.50. I'm going to fight for that shit. Oh, hell yeah. If that's all I got for babysitting if someone else's all fucking I got, crotch goblins, you, I'm keeping that two fifty. Exactly. Well, you ain't ta- take taking that shit. quarters. God damn it. Right? Mm-mm. You ain't taking that shit away from me. Two fifty. dollars We fighting, boy. I'm going to get you for my two fifty. dollars uh, On April 9th of 1966, 32-year-old bartender Mary Catherine, Catherine Pierce... I did not spell Catherine right. I don't know what I spelled. Catherine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was last seen leaving Frank's place, which was her brother-in-law's bar that she was a bartender at, at 12.20 a.m. For some reason, they waited until the 13th to report her missing. Oh, good job. Yeah. Uh, Which really didn't do shit. Okay, so. Why do you wait? Mm. Why the fuck do people wait? More importantly, so her body was found on the 13th. Yeah. Her body was found in an empty hog house behind the bar. Do you fuck faces even look for her? What? Did you even look for her? Apparently not. Did you look for her? No. Not at all. At no point in time were you like. Not a good look. 
man, Mary's supposed to fucking be here bartending. Where is this bitch? <laughs> right. Four days go by and she's behind the bar and nobody knows. Dude, that's like our murder with the guy underneath the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could say the same thing about you guys us. fucked that one up. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. Oh, uh, yikes. I mean, it, did, it took you less than four days to find him, though. Uh, yeah, by the insurance guy. Yeah. <laughs> you think that guy quit? He probably oh, quit. Oh, babe, I was so scared to go in the house alone. Oh, I know. <laughs> it was so crazy. Some of those situations just freaked me out. Yeah. Like, dude, I, I don't care I was if the guy's the first, cut in half, but... <laughs> dude, I was the first on scene, Ugh. and then the CSI was like, oh, yeah, Cash, he, he's in the basement. Awesome. Go I'm get like, him. Oh, my God, babe. I was, like, calling out, hello. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, he's going to answer me. We had one. It was it was an, a little old lady just sitting on the bottom step. And, like, from the top of the stairs, yeah. all you could see was, like, the babushka. Yeah. I, I rock, paper, scissors oh, with the cop. That's the, He's like, are yeah. you going down there? I was like, no, are you going down there? That's creepy. He's like, it's medical. And I was like. That's mm-hmm. a horror movie with the babushka. I was like, this looks like a crime scene to me. He's Dude, like, this ain't a fucking crime scene. I mean, we were literally rock, paper, you scissors. You take off the babushka and it's going to be the exorcist I was face. like, what if you throw a rock at her and see if she moves? <laughs> Right. You know, like we've done that before. We're the, like, they're like, oh, you have a floater and you don't know if he's drunk. So you like find the biggest stick you can right. and you like poke him and hope yep. he moves. You hope he moves versus explodes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the babushka. That's a horror <laughs> movie. Yeah. I'd rather you take be that cut off in and the fucking exercise. I'd rather him be cut in half, like for real. Yeah, I would too. And we're assholes because this poor little old lady probably just got tired and sat down on the step. And uh, yep. And there that was she it. Went. And we're rock, paper, scissoring. Who's going to go down there first? God, you guys are assholes. I know. We're the assholes? Yeah. <laughs> we are, too. I was going to say, I think you fall into that fucking category. Yeah. Hello? Hello? Mm. Like, he's going to fucking answer me. I know. We do that all the time, though. Like Because that's happened. You've had it before where you get the call for like the DOA, and you get there, and you're like, okay. And you go to touch him, and they're like, Hey, and you're like, ah! <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. So it's like you wait for it. It's yep. just, <laughs> so this woman had been hit so hard in the stomach, her liver ruptured. Whoa. That's how she died. Wow. So Richard was actually a regular at Frank's place and had actually helped build several of the hog houses behind the bar, including the one she was found in. Yeah. Again, behind the bar, four days. Good job, guys. Yeah. Um, on April 15th, he came in to pick up his final check, uh, was briefly questioned by the police because <clears throat> he built the fucking hog house. So they're like, well, he's in here all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the police told him to stay in town. Now, there's a couple sources that say, too, that while he was in this questioning, he said that he was sick and he had to go. Yeah. Like he couldn't stay. And the cops were like, all right, cool, but stay in town either yeah. way they let him go um on april 19th they went to the christie hotel to question him further uh and they were told that he had just left the hotel hours earlier with his suitcases saying that he was going to the laundromat hmm. but really he skipped town. obviously uh yeah uh police searched the room and they found uh, a radio and costume jewelry that virgil harris had reported missing and they also found miscellaneous items that had been reported missing in two other local burglaries. Ooh. On April 19th, so that same day, Richard ended up going back to his sister Martha's second story apartment, which was at 3966 North Avondale Avenue. It's the old Irving Park neighborhood. 
mm-hmm. northwest side of Chicago, if you're from Chicago. Yeah. Um, so in the apartment was her, her husband, Jean, and her two teenage daughters. She, at one point, was a former pediatric nurse. I don't know if she still was. It said before her marriage. Um, and he was a railroad switchman who had been in the Navy. Richard tells them some bullshit story about how he had to leave Monmouth uh, because he refused to sell drugs for a crime ring. Oh. What? Sure. Sir, you've been arrested 41 times. You're not going to sell drugs for somebody? Like, <laughs> right? I don't understand what the problem is here. Yeah. I feel like that um, might be I'm more kinda, beneficial to you. Yeah, I'm kind of missing the point here. Mm-hmm. 41 times, sir. Um, so husband Gene, former Navy, thought that the U.S. Merchant Marines would be a good occupation for Richard. Now, I'm pretty sure you don't know what the Merchant Marines are. No. Because I didn't have a fucking clue. No. No so, clue. it is U.S. Civilian, I think it's Mariners, and Civilian and Federally Owned Merchant Vessels. They are managed by a combination of government and private sectors. They engage in commerce or transportation of goods and services in and out of navigable waters of the U.S. Wow. They transport domestic and international cargo and passengers during peacetime and can be used as auxiliary ships to the Navy during wartime. I did not know that. So, like, they they ship stuff. They're like cargo ships is what I was getting. But I love how they throw in there international cargo and passengers. (laughs) Right. So people, grab your boxes. Come on. Uh, On April 25th, Gene took Richard to the U.S. Coast Guard office to apply for a letter of authority to work as an apprentice seaman. Mm. Seaman. Uh, Yep. It requires fingerprints, photos, and obviously a physical exam, which makes fucking sense. He ended up finding work immediately because of this. And on April 30th, he joined a 33-member crew of Inland Steel's Clarence B. Randall, that's the name of the ship, Lake Freighter. Hmm. It didn't last long, though, because on May 3rd, he was evacuated by helicopter to St. Joseph's Hospital in Hancock, Michigan, for an emergency appendectomy. Whoa. He ended up at Martha's again to recover. But on May 20th, he rejoined the crew on the Lake Freighter. And didn't last long again, because on June 14th, he got drunk and got into a fight with one of the boat's officers. Oh, dude. And on June 15th, he was put ashore. Dude. He then went to St. Can't control himself. He can't. He can't. Which is indicative of a head injury. Yeah. Um... He went to St. Elmo, which was an east side flop house at 99th and Ewing. Hmm. Uh, after that, he went to uh, Hoyton, Michigan. He ended up staying with a friend, 28-year-old Judy Lacanemi. She was a soon-to-be-divorced nurse's aide that he met while he was hospitalized from his appendectomy. Oh, wow. That's really weird. Yeah. That's really weird. Yeah. I Yeah. You don't do that. Yeah. That's weird. Kind of weird. Yeah. I don't. I kind of got creeped out by that. I mean, is it? Yes, it's fucking weird. Okay. Yeah. No, it's weird. Um, On June 27th, she gave him $80 in hopes of helping him be able to find employment. Uh, Instead, he used it to ghost her and go back to Chicago. (sighs) Yeah. Great guy. On June 30th, Jean took Richard to the National Maritime Union Hiring Hall 
to file paperwork for a Siemens card. Seaman. Seaman. I was waiting for you to say something. The hiring hall was one block east of five attached two-story brick townhomes. Three of those townhomes were occupied by South Chicago Community Hospital senior student nurses. Mm-hmm. And one of them, um, and then Filipino exchange nurses, yeah. which is still a thing. They still do that. Is it really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Um, eight of those nurses, those said nurses that live in those houses, resided at 2319 East 100th Street. Mm-hmm. That was the easternmost house and was 150 feet from the hiring hall. Oh. So that becomes important. Okay. Um, on July 8th, he went to the hiring hall to get his card and register for a berth on a ship, which is an assignment. There was one opening, but he was passed up for it due to seniority, so he ended up back at Martha's. By the end of the weekend, Martha was like, you got to get the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> You've been here long enough. All right. Let me help you pack, princess. Right. Let's go. <laughs> so on July 11th, uh, after he had more than outstayed his welcome, they dropped him off at the hiring hall to wait for an assignment. Mm-hmm. He ended up staying the night at Pauline's rooming house, which was a mile away from the hiring hall. And the following day, uh, mid-afternoon, he received an assignment on Sinclair Oil's tanker called the SS Sinclair Great Lakes. It was um, docked 30 minutes away in East Chicago, Indiana. But by the time he got there, the spot had been already taken. And it turns out that he wasn't actually given the spot. He was sent as a backup in case the other guy didn't show up. Mm -hmm. So he returned to the hiring hall, which was closed, and had no money for a rooming house. So he dropped his bags six blocks east at Manor Shell, which was at 9954 South Torrance, and slept in an unfinished house off of East 103rd Street. Now, I'm like, why is he leaving his bags at a fucking gas station? Yeah. Well, he didn't want to get robbed. And apparently... It wasn't that uncommon to leave your to leave your shit at a gas station. A gas station? Yeah, like no, none of the gas stations that because he asked one gas station, and they're like, well, "We're going to be closed," you know. Nobody seemed like weirded out that he's like, "Hey, can I leave my shit here?" That's Weird. strange. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of that. No, Mm-mm. I would think your stuff would be taken two minutes, three minutes, right? As opposed to you, like, laying on it. Right. They got to move you to get to the back. Yeah. So on July 13th, he checked back into the hiring hall. And this time he was with his his sister and her husband. They had driven him there. They sat in the car for about 30 minutes while he bitched about being passed over for the job for seniority. But where they were sitting was right across the street from those townhomes. Hmm. So he kind of sat and stared. Yeah. Uh, His sister and Jean were like, cool, we got to go. Peace out. So they left him. And at 10.30 a.m., after he got tired of waiting, he took the $25 his sister had given him and checked in at the Shipyard Inn, which was at 101st Street and Avenue N, one and a half miles away from the hiring hall. Yeah. He spent the day drinking at nearby bars. Mm. Now, 53-year-old LMA Hopper was drinking at the same bars with him all day. Sweet name. It is. Uh, At one point... It's alleged that he kind of solicited her services Ooh. and she told him to get fucked. Hey-o. So he ended up accosting her at knife point and forcing her back to his room. He raped her and then robbed her of her $16 mail order 22 caliber ROM pistol. Damn. Yeah. 
here's here's the thing. This guy's fucking ballsy. He dressed in all black, left with a switchblade, which I'm sure is much easier to hide than a 17-inch carving knife. You would think. And Ella's gun. And left her there. Left her in his room. He went and got dinner at Kay's Pilot House and then returned to the Shipyard Inn's Tavern, where he met Ella to begin with, and drank until 1020. <laughs> This dude is you. You nuts. pick this bitch up. You take her back to her room. You rape her. You rob her, and, and then you go back go to the same back. bar. <laughs> right. This dude is something. Here's else. the best part. Nobody at any point was like, "Hey, buddy, where's Ella?" Right. What? She was. A, everybody knew her. She was yeah. regular. She was a fucking bar fly, and nobody was like, "You you left with her. What what did you do with her?" Mm-hmm. Oh, this dude. He's right. something else. This is where it gets uh. Little hinky. Little hinky. Yeah. Hinky dinky. So he left the Shipyard Inn's Tavern and walked the one and a half miles back to 2319 East 100th Street. This townhouse is in the Jeffrey Manor neighborhood and served as a dorm for student nurses. Living in that residence was Gloria Davy, Patricia uh, Matusik, Nina Joe Schmall, Pamela Wilkening, which I think they called her Willie, which was cute. Suzanne uh, Ferris, Mary Ann Jordan, Merlita Gargella, Valentina Passion, and Corazon Amurio. So Corazon, we're going to call Cora. That's what she went by. Okay. Mainly because I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing Corazon wrong, and I don't want to. So Richard finds a window and takes his switchblade and pries open the window with his knife and gets into the house. Mm. There's multiple bedrooms in the house, obviously, because it's serving as a dorm. Yeah. So he finds the first bedroom door, which is Cora's door, knocks on it four times. She opens at a crack, sees what she thinks is a gun, and doesn't have time to react before Richard pushes the door all the way open, grabs her arm, pushes her back into the room, and starts asking where everybody is. Uh, I believe Merlita was in her room also because Merlita woke up. He then ushered both girls to a large back bedroom. When he turned on the light, he saw that there were three more women in there sleeping. So at this point, Cora, Marlita, and Valentina ran into a closet to hide. Uh, They came out after one of their roommates assured them that Richard wouldn't hurt them. Because he's telling them he just wants money. Yeah. So. Never believe that shit. No, no, no. And this is the point where Cora starts talking about how, so uh, Cora, Merlita, Valentina, they're they're part of the Filipino yeah, group. And right. so they're kind of, they separate them, unfortunately, I mean, like in, in one of the books I read. But this is the point where Cora's like, the three of us were like, we need to fight. Mm. And the American girls were like, no, we just need to see, like, we need to stay calm and oh, he's just going to let us geez. go. Like, we just, so yeah. that was a big, like, they had two different mindsets, basically. So he then points the gun at Nina and Patricia while holding Pamela around the waist. He turns the light in the bedroom back off and has the girls sit in, a, like, a semicircle with their backs to the window. He tells them that he's going to New Orleans and he needs money. So one by one, they each go and get money from their purse. Um, Around, I believe, 1140, Gloria Davy comes home. She was on a date with her boyfriend. Uh, She's kind of shit-faced. No big deal. Whatever. 
Okay. She goes upstairs and screams when she sees Richard. Um, he puts her in the semicircle too. She tries to offer him money and he's like, basically just sit down and shut up. Yeah. So at this point he starts taking the sheets off of the bunk beds and he's tearing the bed sheets into strips. Mm. He starts taking these strips and is tying now the hands and feet of the girls that are there. Yeah. Uh, around 1230-ish, right before curfew, because their curfew was at 1230, uh, Marianne and Suzanne came home. They had been out with another girl from like a next-door neighbor dorm. Um, they opened the door to the back bedroom and found Richard standing over Pamela, who was tied up. They turned and ran into the master bedroom um, and screamed when they saw the rest of the girls that were there. Richard goes into that room and takes uh, the two girls into a back bedroom and proceeds to stab and strangle them. Yeah. He then cleans up. He goes back to Pamela, who was he had just finished tying up, and stabs her once in the heart mm. and then cleans up. Um, the girls at this point are trying to hide under the bunk beds, which it's a fucking bunk bed. Yeah. How do you fit? Cora was the only one who really fit under there. And she was, like I said, she was 98 pounds. Oh my God, little thing. He then unties Nina's feet and takes her to the bathroom where he proceeds to stab her in the neck and suffocate her with a pillow. Jesus. Cora said that after Nina was taken to the bathroom for a few minutes, they heard something along the lines of, ah but like a groan almost yeah. but like a involuntary groan um and then water because he was cleaning up after everyone mm. cora then got under the bed uh richard took valentina out of the room by carrying her over his shoulder he took her into another room again they heard uh the involuntary groan and then water he comes back to get marlita and carries her out of the room and after approximately five minutes, Cora said she could be heard saying, quote, it hurts. Jeez. 30 minutes later, they hear water. <clears throat> he then goes for Patricia and says, quote, are you the girl in the yellow dress? He takes Patricia into the bathroom, punches her in the stomach so hard it ruptures her liver. Dude. And strangles her. Oh, my God. He comes back and now <clears throat> Gloria is the last one there that he can see. Yeah. She's also the only one that he violently rapes and sexually assaults. Mm. It's said that it happened to her specifically because she looked like his ex-wife. Jeez. Oh, Cora can see this happening. She can hear it happening. She yeah. closes her eyes and prays. When she opens her eyes... What else can you do? Right, they're gone. So she decides that she needs to switch spots. She needs to go to a different bed. Mm. So she rolls across the floor and wedges herself as tight as possible against a wall under a different bed until 6 a.m. Um, <clears throat> now, they're connected with other uh, buildings that are being used as dorms, essentially. And they're working. They're student nurses, so they're working as nurses, too. Um, then there was a neighbor, Judy, who was across the street. She had just gotten home from her night shift. She was getting ready to study, had her window open. She had her fan on, but then turned the fan off so it would be quieter for her to study. Yeah. And heard what she said sounded like an animal. So she kind of disregarded it. She went downstairs to start laundry and came back and heard it again. So this time she looked out the window. When she looked out the window, she saw Cora sitting on the windowsill, shaking saying, quote, they're all dead. Oh, That's all she kept God. saying was, they're all dead. They're all dead. Ugh. 
Judy ran over and went into the townhome, and the first thing she saw was Gloria. So she ran to the house mother's townhome, because mm-hmm. you know they had a house mother, uh, who called the police. Cora, at this point, jumps off the windowsill, fearing that Richard is still in the house, and he's yeah. going to come get her. Right. So the police arrive. Uh, Cora is taken to the hospital where she is heavily sedated. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Uh, the first thing police see when they walk in is Gloria Davy, who is nude and lying. Uh, I wrote prone. I, I got to start writing that. Lying on her belly on the couch. Um, around her neck is a double knotted bed sheet. What appears to be semen can be seen on her backside and her blouse buttons are all over the stairs. In the upstairs bedroom, they find Pamela, who is gagged and has the stab wound to the heart. Close to her is Suzanne, who is lying on her belly in a pool of blood with a white nurse's stocking around her neck. She has 18 stab wounds to her chest and neck. Jesus. Marianne is close to her and is on her back. She has three stab wounds to her chest, one to her neck, and one to her eye. They say, though, the one to her eye appears to have, for lack of better terms, been a mistake. It was almost a defensive wound, like she was trying to get away, and it, and it just caught her in happened. the eye. Yeah. yeah. So they go into a second bedroom and find Nina, whose nightgown is pulled up over her breasts. She has also bedsheet strips around her neck that are pulled so hard, her neck is broken. Valentina is found on her stomach and her throat is cut to her spine. Marlita is found on her back and she is strangled with multiple stab wounds. A little further down the hall, they see Patricia's legs sticking out of the bathroom door. She is lying on her back with her hands bound behind her back. She was also strangled with the bed sheets. Her nightgown was pushed over her breasts and there were bloody towels everywhere in the bathroom. The girls were severely beaten. Wow. Beaten to the point that Josephine Chan, who is the director of nursing for the school, could only identify three of them. She was brought over to ID them and could only identify Gloria, Patricia, and Pamela. That's so fucking terrible. The fuck like how did you have the the energy and the stamina to do that brutally to eight women? Yeah. Back to back to back. Like, I just... Mm. So, his fingerprints are obviously in the system because he's been arrested 41 motherfucking oh, yeah. times. And they're in the system from the Coast Guard. Right. So, they find um, they find his fingerprints all over the fucking crime scene. He made no effort to hide it whatsoever. I wonder why. I don't, I don't know. I don't, he said he was drunk and high and that's why. I mean, well, there's semen all over the one girl. Yeah. Like, he didn't yeah. even try to wipe that up. Right. You know? So they end up getting a sketch together um, with uh, the alert, I guess, for like a better terms, on the sketch that he has a tattoo on his forearm that says born to raise hell. Yeah. Dork. Yep. On July 15th, uh, so two days later, he is drinking on the fire escape of the Star Hotel with other people. One of those other people being Claude Lunsford. And he was like, oh, I'll come back to my room. Like, let's be drinking, buddy. It's no big deal, right? Yeah. The next day, Claude sees the sketch of Richard Speck and is like, fuck, he mm-hmm. was in my room. Mm-hmm. So he calls the police at 930 that night. Yeah. They don't respond. Oh, good job. They don't respond at all. CPD for you. Yeah. And it was CPD. 
Yeah. It 100% was. That's what I'm saying. So it's questionable as to whether or not they didn't respond because of the area. And they're like, well, he's a drunk. Yeah. Uh, But a drunk who had, like, he had knowledge. information. Mm Mm-hmm. So now Richard is catching on that people are catching on. And he attempts suicide. The hotel desk clerk of the Star Hotel calls 911 at midnight. And he is taken to Cook County Hospital at 1230 a.m. on July 17th. Hmm. I don't know how he tried to kill himself. There was a couple different sources. Um, my thought would have been use that 17-inch fucking carving knife, That's dude. what I was going to yeah. say, yeah. Go cross and long. You're hitting everything right. on the way down. So he's like, I it, and I, it might have been drugs too. There's video of him in the hospital and he's just gorked out of his mind. So really, he's actually recognized by the 25-year-old resident, Dr. Leroy Smith. He sees the tattoo and he's like, motherfucker. Yeah. This is him. He called the police. That's how he got caught. No kidding. That is how he got caught. Wow. From a doctor. Yep. Damn. Yeah. So he is now, he's arrested finally. Um, Now, at this time, the Miranda rights Mm -hmm. court case had just happened a month ago. So the PD was like, we don't want to fuck this up. Yeah. We don't know if his rights were read to him. We don't know if he understood them because he was gorked. He ended up sitting for three weeks before he was questioned. That's actually smart. Yes. So they Uh, said that that was kind of borderline iffy, but... Still, that's smart. They didn't want to fuck it up. Yeah. So now the felony court judge, Herbert Passion, was um, he appointed an impartial panel to um, evaluate Speck. Right. So they wanted to see if he was competent to stand trial and what his sanity level at the time of the crime was. So the defense was to pick three physicians and the prosecution was to pick three physicians and then um, one would be impartial. Right. So they were regular, um, they were psychiatrists and a general surgeon. Hmm. The panel came together and conclusively said that he was competent to stand trial and that he had not been insane at the time of the murders. Wow. Uh, While awaiting trial, he was mandated to twice weekly sessions with the Cook County Jail psychiatrist, which, I mean... You know how that goes. Uh, yeah. uh, Dr. Uh. Marvin Zipran. Zipran. Um, <clears throat> he went to the um, Cermak Memorial Hospital, which was inside Chicago's House of Corrections at the time. Does that okay. sound familiar? Yeah. Um, until he was transferred to Peoria in February of 1967 to stand trial. Mm-hmm. Um so this doctor prepared a discharge summary uh, with a diagnosis of depression, anxiety, guilt, and shame. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know those were diagnoses. I didn't know you could be diagnosed um, with that. It said he had a deep love for his family. But the big thing that he noted was uh, that Richard had an obsessive compulsive personality yeah. with a, quote, Madonna prostitute attitude towards women. Do you know what that is? No, I've never heard of that. I have, actually. 
So he stated that Richard viewed women as saintly until he felt betrayed by them for some reason, whether it was a valid reason or not. Yeah. After which hostility developed. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, this is the only, th- like, this isn't conclusive because, like I said, he never said that it happened. But um, he also diagnosed Richard with organic brain syndrome, which he said resulted from cerebral injuries he had suffered earlier in life. So there's that possible wow, brain injury. Very, yeah. But there's nothing concrete to prove that it happened. Right. Um, he stated that he was competent to stand trial but was insane at the time of the crime due to the effects of alcohol and drug use in addition to his organic brain syndrome. Wow. Just say he's fucking evil. He is. Just just say he's evil. He is. So this doctor ended up not testifying for the defense or the prosecution. Wow. Do you want to know why? Why? Uh, Because they found out right before the trial that he was writing a book about Richard Speck for financial gain. Oh, of course he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. So because of this, he was fired as Cook County Jail's part-time psychiatrist the week after the trial ended. And um, he actually, he had actually obtained authorization from Richard Speck to write this book. Because wow. Richard Speck said he wanted him to tell, quote, what I am really like. Wow. This book was actually published in the summer of 67. Holy so cow. It, it was a, it was a to do. So <clears throat> Richard Speck claimed that he had no recollection of the murders, um, but he had actually confessed to Dr. Lee Ray Smith at Cook County Hospital. Yeah. So because after he saw the tattoo, he's like, did you kill them fucking people? Yeah. And Richard Speck was like, sure did. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, the doctor was. He did not testify, though, uh, because the confession was made while Richard was sedated. Mm. So because of this, um, it was controversial, essentially. Um, And the Supreme Court justice stated that they really didn't need him to testify because they had an eyewitness, which they did. They had Cora. Um, So he actually... Speck confessed publicly to the murders in a 1978 interview with Chicago Tribune columnist Bob Green. Um, And later on in a tape that I'll get to. So Richard Speck's trial began April 3rd, 1967 in Peoria, three hours southwest of Chicago. Yeah. There was a gag order put on the press and everybody in the courtroom. Speck was positively identified by the sole surviving student nurse. Do you want to know how? His when hair? She, when she was asked if she could identify the killer of her classmates, she got up from her seat in the witness stand, walked over to him, put her finger less than an inch from his forehead, and said, this is him. Wow. Good for her. This is him. Good for mm-hmm. her. So, had a girl. Yeah. You know, I I I want to look this up too cuz I saw in one source that she was willing to help in any way, which she was. But they had her identify him in the hospital. Like they had her dress as a nurse and do mm. rounds and walk into the room that he was in and yeah. say this was him. I don't know if that actually happened. But God damn it, this woman's a badass. I don't know if you could even do that. I don't that. know if you could even do that. But she, her ass got up from that witness box and was like, 
I mean, at the time, mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, times are different. Yeah. I, that would not fly today. No, God, no. No, she couldn't even get up from the fucking witness box no. today. You know? So on April 15th, after a whole 49 minutes of deliberation, yeah. the jury found Richard Speck guilty and recommended the death penalty. Good. Because at the time it was still, you know. Good. Um, on June 5th, he was sentenced to death by electric chair but granted an immediate stay pending automatic appeal. In Illinois, you get convicted of murder. It's an automatic appeal, whether mm-hmm. you want it or not. Yeah. You get an automatic appeal. So you're, the death penalty was always put off. Now, obviously, there's a moratorium on the death penalty, yeah, which is right. stupid. But Dumb. Um, in November of 1968, the Illinois Supreme Court subsequently upheld his conviction and death sentence on November 22nd of 1968. Good. <sighs> yeah, well... On June 28th of 1971, um, they upheld, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld his conviction but reversed his death sentence. Oh, my God. Because more than 250 potential jurors were unconstitutionally excluded from the jury because of their conscientious or religious beliefs against capital punishment. Oh, fuck me. Now, that is jury selection. Mm -hmm. That is a question that they are allowed to ask, is it? Isn't it? Are you for or against the death penalty? Can they ask that? I believe. I thought I, they could. I've never been on a jury, I, so yeah, I don't I know. Either, so. Um, it, so the case, he ended up going back to the Illinois Supreme Court for resentencing mm-hmm. um, on June 29th. Such a good day. Hey. 1972, uh, the Supreme Court declared the death penalty unconstitutional. So the Illinois Supreme Court's only option was to order Speck resentenced to prison by the original Cook County Court. Wow. So he ended up uh, in November of 72, back in Peoria, went before Judge Fitzgerald, who resentenced Speck to 400 to 1,200 years in prison. Nice. So that's eight. I don't think he's getting no. out. That's eight consecutive sentences of 50 to 150 years. Wow. They then reduced it to, uh, you know, 100 to 300. Hey. Just, just in case. Yeah. He, however, though, babe, was eligible to go before the parole board 10 years after he was sentenced. That doesn't make any sense to me. He, well, okay, so his first parole hearing was September 15th of 1976. Yeah. And he was d- denied parole in less than seven minutes. Good. Yeah. Uh, he had six subsequent hearings in 77, 78, 81, 84, 87, and 90. Why in the motherfuck? How does he go from death penalty to possibility of Pot- parole? Yeah, that I, I'm, mm, I'm baffled on, on that one. Babe. I, why? But, I mean, he, he's dead now, isn't he? Yes. Thank it, God. It's funny where he died. So there was this whole other thing about the XYY syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a British uh, cytogenicist who's, who does like chromosomes yeah. thought that uh, because he fell between the height range of 5'7 and 6'2, it's possible that he could have an extra Y chromosome. Okay. Um, and it was hypothesized that men with an extra Y chromosome are more prone to aggression and violent behavior. Um, however, that was later shown to be incorrect. And they did genealogy, not genealogy, they did um, chromosomal testing on him and he did not have an extra white right. chromosome. Right. They still tried to fight for that, though. They wow. still tried to say, yeah. 
Because then it turned into this woman came forward and said that subjects confined in psychiatric hospitals and penal institutions um, have, have acne. What? And that acne should be added to the list of defining XYY characteristics. Now, Richard Speck had a very pockmarked face. So he yeah. he had very troubling issues with acne, which same dude, same. I get it. Yeah. But that's why they're like, well, he, he has to have that extra Y chromosome because he has acne. What? You people are fucking stupid. Dude, where yeah. do they come up with this they, shit? I don't, I don't know, but they're fucking stupid. So he ends up going to Stateville. Hey. Correctional Center in Julia. Crest Hill, Illinois. Crest Hill, technically. Uh, he was nicknamed Birdman. Why? He's like red. Yeah. Well, okay. So he kept a pair of sparrows that had flown into his cell. And he was a loner. He had a stamp collection and liked music. And uh, he wanted new shirts and a radio and other stupid shit. But he threw a bird into a fan. <laughs> What a dick. Didn't Red keep the bird in his pocket? Yes. And like feed him? Yeah. Yes. No. Uh, he was told by one of the guards, because a bird with a broken wing, like he somehow got to it. And the guard's like, you can't fucking have that in here. He threw in the fan. What a dick. And the guard's like, what What are you doing? What a fucking dick He's like, move. I thought you liked that bird. And he's like, I did. But if I can't have him, nobody can. It's Dude, a bird. Man. Babe, it's. Mm, this guy sucks. It's a bird. So this public interview that he gave, it was the only interview. Uh, and during that interview, he publicly confessed to the murders for the first time, but then said that he thought he would get out of prison between now and the year 2000. Mm-hmm. At which time he, he hoped to run his own grocery store. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, he, he stated that the time of the killings, he had no feelings, um, but things had changed. He said, quote, I had no feelings at all that night. They said there was blood all over the place. I can't remember. It felt like nothing. I'm sorry as hell for those girls and for their families and for me. If I had to do it all over again, it would be a simple house burglary. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. mm, mm, Yeah. So he's in Stateville. Okay. Yeah. So in May of 1996, Bill Curtis, was he... Channel 5? What channel was he? I don't know. I don't remember what channel he was on. And it just says, of course, in here, Chicago Television News Anchor. Yeah. Um, Lynn will listen to this and text me. So he received videotapes made at Stateville Correctional Center in 1988 from an anonymous attorney. Showing them publicly for the first time before the Illinois State Legislature, Curtis pointed out the explicit scenes of sex, drug use, and money being passed around by prisoners, who seemingly have no fear of being caught. Yeah. Uh, In the center, Speck was seen performing oral sex on another inmate. Jesus. Sharing a large quantity of cocaine with another inmate that he was snorting off of another inmate's stomach. Oh, my God. Uh, Wearing silk... I hate the word panties, um, and sporting female-like breasts, which he had grown from smuggled hormone treatments. Dude, what? He then um, he gave details about the murders, and then said, "quote If they only knew how much fun I was having, 
they'd turn me loose. Dude. Now, on this tape, he's just asked. fucking die. Yep, he's asked if he killed the nurses. And mm-hmm. he responded with, quote, sure I did. When asked why, he shrugged and said, quote, it just wasn't their night. Fuck you. When he asked how he felt about himself in the years since, he said, quote, like I always felt, had no feeling. If you're asking me if I felt sorry, no. Fuck you, dude. They asked him to describe in detail the experience of strangling somebody, and he said, quote, it's not like TV. It takes over three minutes, and you have to have a lot of strength. (sighs) Really? Fuck you. So by the time this video had come out... He had been dead. Uh, shortly, or excuse me, on December 5th, 1991, Speck started complaining of chest pain and was transported from Stateville Correctioners, Correctional Center to Silver Cross Hospital. Hey. So Silver Cross used to be in Juliet. Yeah. You know, know that, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, he later died in the early morning hours from what was believed to be a heart attack. He was one day shy of what would have been his 50th birthday. The coroner stated that uh, Richard had an enlarged heart, emphysema, and clogged arteries, which are what most likely contributed to his fatal heart attack. You fucking think? Good. Um, so he fucking good. He um he was not buried. Uh, his sister feared that his grave would be desecrated, so he was, it would. Yeah, he was cremated, and his ashes were scattered in an undisclosed location in the Joliet area. I would have peed and pooed on it. Yeah, most people would have. So that is the story of Richard Speck. Wow. What a piece of shit. Yeah. But I wonder if the head injury did have something to do with it. I do, it. because of, like, he he escalated so quickly. He, it's like he snapped. Yeah, it is like he snapped. Mm-hmm. And... The doctor saying, you know, the combination of the drugs and alcohol with the organic brain injury, it that's legit. Yeah. You know, if you have a, a brain injury and you consistently are drinking and doing drugs, you're, you're I mean, drugs and alcohol are going to fuck up your brain anyways. Oh, yeah. Now you have a brain injury. You put those together. And it's. There you go. Terrible combo. Mm-hmm. Man, what a story. But like. Why? Yeah. Why? Did you hate women? Were you bored? Mother Mary. I mean, but he, like, there was no weird obsession with his mom. No, no. And I mean, it's... That's why I just, it's like he snapped. Mm-hmm. But why? Yeah. I don't know. Is he just evil? And Again. We'll, we'll never know, because he's dead now. Right. Again with the brain injury. Now... So the video that came out, the doctor that evaluated him ended up coming out publicly after the video came out and said that um, him acting in that manner, um, essentially being somebody else's like prison bitch, yeah, was him manifesting his feelings of guilt for killing this these women. Like, really, he was a piece of shit for killing them, so he had to act like a piece of shit in prison. Really. Or he just liked blowies and cocaine. Yeah. I mean, I mean that too. If you're in jail and you can get blowies and cocaine, what else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? Blowies and cocaine. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it wasn't a manifestation. I'm pretty sure he wanted boobs to play with and uh, wanted some coke to snort. <laughs> right. I really don't think there's anything more behind it. Oh, my 
God. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. So fucking weird. Isn't it fucking strange to think that like him and Gacy and like how close they were? Yeah. I mean, what? Less than five miles from where I grew up. Yeah. I mean, there were signs in front of our high school. Don't pick up hitchhikers. Yeah. (laughs) Because we were right there. But it's so weird to think of them so close, you know? Yeah, they were. Yeah. They really were. Yeah. But. Man. I don't know. With. I would really like to know if if this head injury happened and if it did, like how bad it was. Mm hmm. You know? Yeah, me too. I don't know. Because now I. I don't it know. makes me makes me wonder. Yeah, it really does. You know, uh, yeah, because, I, I'm curious if it did or didn't happen. I don't know because I mean, brain injuries do affect people 100. Right. It affects drinking, their their mood it, yes. and I and mean, if you add alcohol to it, yeah, it, somebody could be the nicest fucking person in the world and they bump their fucking noggin. That that's it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Or was he just a fucking piece of shit? I mean, either way, he was a fucking piece of shit. But oh, would yeah. he have been without hitting his head? Yeah. And I feel like maybe that head injury wasn't necessarily a thing. Because with most serial killers that we talk about with brain injuries, that's a pretty prominent part of their story. Yeah. You know, Gacy, if we're talking about him, that's a pretty prominent part of his story. His dad beat the fuck out of him and would beat him in the head repeatedly. Right. That's a big part of his story. This saying he had a head injury didn't come out until way later. After. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Well, this was a good one, babe. I Yeah. I'm starting to get a little obsessed with serial killers. I notice that. Yeah. I want, a, I, I want a why. I notice I that. want a why. But our, our next episode is going to be, it's going to be good. We're going to do Brianna Taylor. We are. I'm going to. It's going to be controversial. Yeah. I think we're going to agree on stuff. I think we're going to butt heads on stuff. I don't think you and I are going to butt heads on stuff, to be honest with you. Which, you don't think? Which, for me to say that, is shocking. You don't think so? I don't think you and I will, no. I think people are going to be upset, and we're going to piss people off, but I think with this type of a case, it's unavoidable but we're gonna try to be down the middle as much as possible yeah but it is going it's gonna be be hard hard. so i mean there's in the same because you're either on yeah on brianna's side or you're on the police side there's literally two different timelines of what happened at the exact same time yeah does that make sense yeah okay so i'm going to try to okay this is what he's saying on this side this is what he's saying on this side i'm gonna i'm gonna give them both at the same time right everything that i'm going to it's going to be factual if it's not written documentation in a court document i will say it's from an interview it's from questioning it's from this that or the other so i will be as clear and as transparent as i can be i appreciate Um, that because it's it's a rough it's, one. It's yeah. It is. It really is. It, and it's. But it, I'm excited for it. It's a, I, I don't know I why I'm having such it. a hard time with it. Because it's tough. It is. It, it it's a tough case. There's no way around it. 
It really is. And I mean... She fucked up. The police fucked up. Yeah. Like, it... There's no way around it. It's just, it's... Multiple people are at fault for it. And we see it from such a different view. Because not only have we seen, like, you know, because her her ex-boyfriend was a, he was a shithead. Right. So we've seen the shithead part of it. And we've seen the police part of it. And you've, you know, you've obviously been involved in an officer-involved shooting. Um, I've dispatched an officer-involved shooting, like... We, it's so different for us. You're right. I, I feel like just the angle that we're at, it's it's so, it's so different because right. I've heard screams of somebody being shot, and I've heard screams from officers who have just shot someone. Like right, it's it's hard. It's yeah. hard. This one's it's it's hard. Yeah, it's I, it's gonna be a good one. So yeah. you you guys are gonna be in for a good one. Yeah. The next episode, um, give us a couple days on it. Yeah, because um, I'm struggling a little bit. Yeah. So, hit us up on social media. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, we try to answer as much as possible. Please Sorry. like, follow, share. Um, I think I should end with oh, a dad joke. Hurry up, because the dog's going nuts. Okay. Um. What happens when you have a bladder infection? Oh, Jesus Christ. You're in trouble. Oh, my God. <laughs> really? <laughs> Babe. Oh, I love it. Mm. So I thought that was a perfect way to end. And now um, the dog's going crazy. Yeah. Um, what? Nothing. Never mind. All right. Never mind. So, guys, thank you so much. Patreons, Stop. thank you. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Dog, stop. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Please like, share, follow. Uh, hit us up on social media. And we will be talking to you soon. Bye. Bye.